This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast, number one podcast in Oakland, number one podcast in the Bay Area, and today is a special, special day. We have a woman who is out there and wants to spread her cause, and to some people, this cause might be triggering, but I think it's something that, uh, I mean, everyone should talk about, a lot of people have dealt with. And I'll let her get into that. Um, but first, welcome Juliana to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How was your day today? It was pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. What did your day consist of? Um, I slept in and then I drank some coffee in the backyard in the sunshine, which mm. was super nice. And um, oh, and then I uh, met up with some friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you originally from the Bay Area? Um, I don't, didn't grow up in the Bay Area, like actually physically live in the Bay Area, but I grew up in a really small town slightly outside of the Bay, Bay Area. Mm. And um, my mom's mom lived in San Leandro and all of her family lived in San Leandro. So mm. um, I spent a lot of my childhood in the Bay Area. Well, what small places. town are you talking about? Um, it's this little town called Jackson. Do you know it? Never heard of it. See? No one ever hears of it. it it's really... Um, like where outside the Bay Area is it? Um, God, how would I explain it? So um, if it, it's... it's uh, I'm really bad with directions, but um, like if you're going up to Kirkwood in the wintertime to go skiing, you know, mm-hmm. you would probably go through Jackson. It's where like the 88 and the 99 okay. kind of intersect there. It's really tiny when I was a kid there. Um, we didn't even have a movie theater or mm. fast food restaurants or anything. They do now, but um, when I was a kid, they didn't have any of those. So it's very small, like a thousand people. Do you think growing up in a small town hindered uh, a lot of things for you? Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because no, I'm, th- I'm pretty sure, uh, like a kid, that if you grew up in New York City, for example, right, you'll right, probably right. be a totally different person. Right. Right. I mean, it's true. There's a lot of things about growing up in a small town that can be uh, good, I guess, you know, but um, it also can be kind of a fishbowl, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't have a lot of exposure to other things. More so now, I guess, because, mm. you know, people have the Internet and things like that. But um, Did you get in trouble a lot? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I guess as, as much as everyone does you know well, I mean, um, don't, don't say that <laughs> <laughs> some people get in trouble some people's troubles are totally different from right the right, other. right yeah mm. yeah yeah i mean you know i got some big trouble and i don't know the usual stuff i guess mm. i kind of strict parents so yeah were they religious parents um not really i think they were just um concerned mm. <laughs> brothers and sisters yeah, I have a couple brothers and a younger sister. Did you go to high school? Yes. In Jackson? Yes. College? Yeah, I went to UC Santa Cruz. Okay, how was that? It was great. It's awesome. Smoked a lot of weed? Uh, you may. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I did a little this and that. Uh, what did you major in? Um, I was a biochemistry major. Okay. Yeah. Are you doing anything with that? No. No? no? I'm not doing anything with that. Why? No. What? Why? Um, I think uh, a lot of it just really had to do with it was um, really, I'm dyslexic which I was never really diagnosed with that until I got to college. Mm. So um, uh, school is kind of a, a struggle sometimes, you know. So, But when you have dyslexia, you create uh, – you're really good at puzzles because, you know, you, you spend your whole time decoding everything, mm. you know. And uh, science, it was really easy to kind of put those puzzle pieces together because that's how I'd been training my mind all that time. So it, that was empowering in that regard. But – once I got out into the world, uh, I didn't really want to be involved in a career that was so much uh, competition mm-hmm. all the time, you know? Yeah. And I didn't want to go on to grad school or anything like that. So. Do you feel like you wasted your time in college? I, I started out an art major and I got talked out of that, you know, because you're not going to make many money doing that. Yeah. You, you need to be in STEM because that's what everybody does. And you don't even need to go to college for it, I don't think. Yeah. That's exactly. just my opinion. But Right. So yeah. true. So true. So true. But I was really into like pleasing my parents. So, you know, of course, I'm going to go to college. Whatever. Yeah. And so I went to college. And uh, um, I don't think it was a waste of time at all, especially for somebody like me coming from a small town. It was really uh, mind expanding to go to college and, mm-hmm. you know, just learn new things and be with other people that you didn't grow up with your entire life, you know, in a small Mm -hmm. town, everyone knows everyone and kind of have some, you also kind of have some freedom and no one knowing you. Um, And it was empowering to science. I wish I would have stayed an art major. Mm -hmm. I think that I would have gotten more out of that, but. What kind of art? Like painting? Yeah, it was a fine art major. So it was, you know, mostly painting and drawing. Mm. Yeah. So you graduate, and then where did your life take you after that? Um, let's see what I do right after I graduated. Then I went. Um, uh, well, I kind of moved all around. So I lived in Seattle for a little while, and then I lived in the Midwest in Milwaukee uh, for a while, and um, down south in Southern California, and um, you know, just kind of moved all around mm. and ended up back here. So why were you moving around so much? Um, I, I, I guess like you trying to like find yourself. I don't know if it was, re- <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know, maybe, uh, I think it was more kind of, um, strangely a source of travel, mm. you know, like, um, when you travel, it's really hard to get a sense of what the community actually really is because you're just so, you're not there very long, you know? Mm-hmm just kind of passing through and you're trying to soak up as much as you can and see what you're supposed to see or whatever. And you don't really get a sense of who the people are that live there, you know, and what they're up to. And so it was kind of a, do you think that's a good thing? Yeah, definitely. That doesn't like, how can I say this? That doesn't, does that, uh, that same mindset, does it like mess up your like relationships and, Moving around a lot. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, do you get bored easy? That's what basically what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess <clears> that would be true. <throat> um, but not necessarily with people, mm-hmm. unless they're 
um, problematic, I guess, mm. you know, in my own life. But so most of my <laughs> traveling around, um, I would take those people with me wherever I went, you know. Yeah. Um, you have children? Yep. I have two kids. Two kids? Yeah. Grown? Yeah, they're grown. Okay. And how's motherhood for you? Um, I think motherhood's really hard. You know, I think parenting's really hard. I think um, uh, people kind of sell it to you as a, you know, like, uh, uh, especially for women, like you're not really a woman unless you have kids. And, mm -hmm. you know, you got to do these certain, hit these certain milestones. And, uh, and everybody tells you, oh, it's the greatest thing, blah, blah, blah. And it is, it is. I'm not lessening that fact, but it's also very hard. It's a really hard job. Um, it's super fulfilling. It's the best thing I've ever done with my life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so grateful and thankful I could, that I am a parent, you know, um, and it's, it, it's, very weird too. I'm adopted, so I don't know anybody really that I've ever been biologically related to. And that's until interesting. I had, until I had kids, I didn't even, I've never even seen anybody that kind of looked like me. So that's kind of a weird. Have you tried to find? Yeah. I mean, now I know my um, biological brother and his family. Um, but I think one of the things when you're adopted and you don't know who uh, the people that you're biologically related to, are you make up a story in your mind of who they are and it's always kind of fairy tale esque you know they're yeah. like the perfect people they do everything you want to do they have all your same mm -hmm. likes and dislikes or dreams and aspirations you know and then and um you know when you when you meet them it's kind of this reality check that i mean i i never thought i had a brother or that uh i never thought anything about who that person might be or not be how how was it when you met him? Was it weird? It's super. Yeah. It's super weird. Like, how do you reconcile? <laughs> you know that you have another family or these I, additions and things like I went from being a middle child to the firstborn mm. in that group. You know, and and that's kind of really weird. How'd you find him? Um, he actually found me. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and he kind of pursued a relationship because I was sort of like, eh, I don't know, man. I don't know if yeah. I want another family. Blah blah. Was this like recently? No, it was probably it was like uh, maybe a little bit before COVID. Mm -hmm. So I haven't really seen him for quite a while, you know. But uh, he's a really nice guy. His family's really <laughs> nice, you know. You seem like you don't give a fuck. Yeah. Well, no, that's well, no, that's not true. I think. Um, uh. I don't know. It's just, it's just really weird. It's mm. really. It's Do you feel like, I mean, I'm already a grown ass woman. My life is already set. I don't really care. It's, it's a mind fuck because you. Oh, can I say that? Yeah, you can okay, say okay. that. All right. Um, phew, that's really. Okay. So <laughs> it's like, um, uh, you define yourself as being something. And when you're, when you're adopted and you're younger, like there's, I mean, for me, I don't, can't speak for everybody, but for me, there's this age, I think, between like when you're a teenager and maybe when you're in your early 20s where you have this burning desire to find these other people because, mm -hmm. you know, you think your parents are stupid and everything's stupid and, you know, mm -hmm. you're just really trying to like um, find some sort of connection, like some sort of 
you know, something that's rooting you somewhere because you're, you don't have, you don't feel like you have that. And then there's a certain time period where you, um, realize that you've, you've defined yourself as something and this is what you are now. And you're the, you know, like I was the person who you go to the doctor and you have that whole page where you have your medical history. And I got, you know, I've just drawn X on that because I don't know any yeah. of my parents or anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so much of those things you don't know, like, I don't know what, you know, what my heritage is or any of that. I don't know any of that stuff at all. You know, uh, I mean, I can guess at it, but I, I don't have any of that, you know? And so you define yourself as a person that doesn't have those things. Mm. And then somebody shows up who has those answers and that's a real kind of mind fuck. You have to redefine yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, so, I mean, did you, what did you find out when you met him? Did you like tell you spill the beans? Um, no, like I found out some stuff about maybe, um, just, uh, yeah, like there are like some things about, um, uh, like ancestors or whatever. And, their their family and their side of the family and um did you find out you're german well weird uh i i mean i don't know for <laughs> sure I, I i don't know for sure um they uh i think they do have german in them why can you see that in me because i wouldn't know that oh really yeah oh wow huh. yeah see that's how bad i am at that kind of stuff mm. um yeah, so I also know that because then my older daughter <laughs> took a 23andMe thing okay. test, uh. and she had um, German in her ancestry thing, but I've never done that, so I don't know, but I assume that must come from me because her, mm. you know, the other half would be, um, was all like Jewish heritage, so so the German kind of had to come from me. Mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're single? single mother no no i have a partner so the father the father is still in the children's life uh yeah okay well, that's good yeah so you were talking about motherhood what would you say if a man when men say women were like their sole purpose in life is to bear children do you disagree with that statement uh yes i disagree with that statement I mean, I, I certainly think that can be an aspect of um, a woman's life, of course, you know, mm -hmm. this aspect of my life, but that's um, not the sole purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. People can contribute or have other purposes, you yeah. know? Okay. Yeah, I, and I the same as I don't think men's only purpose is to put more kids out in the world either, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. <see. laughs> All right, so you you might you make your way back up to the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. uh, why is that? Why did you choose to come back? Um, I well, I was living in Southern California, and I uh, felt like um, I just didn't have any. I couldn't find any kind of real connection to people, except for um, these artist people that I knew or whatever. But you know, I I didn't really ever feel like I fit in there. Mm -hmm. You know, I never found my pocket and, um, you know, I'm kind of a Northern California person. And so I came back up here and, uh, my daughters are up here mm -hmm. and, um, you know, so much of my life has been up here. And so it was a, 
it's a good move, you mm-hmm. know. So explain to me like your um because I checked out your your YouTube and you have uh a podcast. What's the name of your podcast? You don't own me. You don't own me. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the why you came up with that? Oh, okay, and so, just explain your podcast in general. Right, 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 right. So I just recently started this podcast, so it's not. Um, okay, so it all started with uh, I got really burned out at my job, and I quit my job. I would say like in April of last year. What job is this? What were you like in tech or something? No, no, I work for um, the UC system. And doing what? Uh, I was like the director of a couple of departments at UC Santa Barbara. Yeah. And, uh, and I just got really burned out. Like during COVID, (laughs) it was really hard to switch it, you know, Mm -hmm. a business like that into a online business. And we were really, really understaffed. And, um, you know, we just went, it was just really, really tough. And, uh, I didn't really believe in burnout prior to having experienced that myself, I thought that's just like, oh, that's when you don't want to go into work on Monday and Sunday, <laughs> you know? Um, stuff like that. Mm. Like, oh, God, I have to look at my email. I thought that was burnout. Not like I physically can't look at my email kind of yeah. situation. And so, um, and then something at work happened that made me, that was the final straw. And so I gave notice and I... Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Um uh, there was a whistleblower report. Okay. Um, and it involved my department. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when the whistleblower report report was being put together, they interviewed um quite a few people, like fourteen to fifteen people, and I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And during the time, we kept saying, "Okay, our names aren't going to be put in the whistleblower report, right? Because it's a whistleblower report." Yeah. You know. And, um, yeah, 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 you know, we're going to try to do that, and we would call you, like, something else, whatever. But then when it was done, the whistleblower report was over 80 pages, and they felt like it was too laborious to go through with all the witnesses and pull out all of our names. So we were all named in the whistleblower report, and then the whistleblower report was given to the people who the report was about. What was the whistle? What was they whistling, blowing about? <laughs> <laughs> what was the situation? Um it had to do with uh, um, when we were on COVID, nobody was supposed to be on campus, but somebody w- decided to then go to campus and run a business, allegedly run a business <laughs> out of our, dep- our, our spaces, which is against university policy, even when it's not COVID. Uh. But the people were also saying that they weren't there or weren't doing that or whatever. But then it. So the campus is closed. Yeah. So someone said, I need I need a space and no one's here. So I'm going to go in here and run a business in this space. Yeah. What type of business was it? Uh, it was like making um, signs and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of smart. Yeah. I mean, you know, they. So well, he was he was making signs in the in the like, uh, I don't know, like in the graphic department. Yeah. It was in one of our. One of our spaces was oh, okay. doing that. And uh, yeah, mm. allegedly, you know, not okay. allegedly, this was happening. And um, yeah, and some other some other stuff, which I'm not going to go into because I'm not, you know, like not going to go because that would be challenging for the other people <laughs> in the report. But uh, 
It's quite a, there's quite a lot of stuff in so there. So the person that got snitched on, he gets the report, and now he sees everyone who snitched on him. Yeah, what everybody said and everything. However... Can't you sue for that? For like for them keep keeping your name in a confidential... I, I don't know. No one really seemed to care that... Everybody, like all the people named in the report were really, really upset, and it was really traumatizing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, because some people were already... You know, there was kind of a people were afraid of the situation and afraid of now they have to interact with this person and what's that going to be like and mm-hmm. um, maybe they you know it, it was just really <laughs> it was such a huge issue and then um, and then uh, there was not really any sympathy from the higher ups to. Uh, four of those people named in the report, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, did they, did they? So, when this was happening, were you guys back in the offices or still remote? No, we were still remote. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Did the guy end up getting fired? Um, there was a couple people listed in the report, and um, I I left while that review. You know, because when they give you the risk report, you have a certain amount of time to. Mm do what you're going to do um, with whatever the whistleblower report says and mm-hmm. uh, respond to it if you want. But during that time, um, I then, uh, I, the, I, I was told I have to now be on campus all the time, even though no one was still really on campus. Mm-hmm. So to monitor the spaces and those people coming back, but that's not, my oh and they wouldn't <laughs> i i didn't and i wouldn't have any police protect you know that like there'd be nothing no security no anything it would mm. just be me alone in the office making sure people don't do what they're supposed to do and i i got in trouble even though they knew i was at home that um i now have to be in the office all the time so i can monitor the mm. situation and i just was like okay that's the final straw for me one i'm the first person listed in the whistleblower report. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I, and I'm the one that has to, you know, I'm the mouthpiece for anything that's going to happen as a yeah. consequence of that. Like I'm going to have to go to the people that the report was about and, you know, either fire people or, you know, do whatever it is that mm-hmm. needs to be done. Right. But I'm also listed in there as the first person. And now I'm in trouble for not being on campus mm-hmm. to monitor them. You know, even though nobody had really come back to campus and um, including the higher ups. Mm, Of course. Yeah. You know, so I was just supposed to be there by myself. And then I was just like, that's too much. It's it's just fine. You're asking me, it's asking me too much. And I actually. So so was this uh, when you quit, was this something that was that you planned out or you just woke up one day and was like, fuck this, I'm I'm done. Yeah, that's kind of what I did. So you didn't have like a backup plan? No. Okay. No, well, you know, and I I get kind of solicited for um like work now and again, you know. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know, man, this was just so traumatic and due, due to COVID, I never took any time off, so I had a lot of time piled up too, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was And they, re- they they paid you. They paid you. Well, off they had to pay me out my vacation and stuff like okay. that. And I gave like notice and everything. I didn't mm-hmm. just say, "Fuck you, I'm not coming back" or anything like that, but um Did they try to keep you? No, I don't think that's um, that establishment's um, priority. Mm. You know, when people people go, it's 
it's okay. I, I don't think that's not true for all uh, universities in that system, but I, that university, they don't, in that department that I worked in, they don't re- retain people. If people want to go, go. They don't try and retain you, you know? Mm. So, um, okay. yeah. So what did you do after you quit? Um, I don't know. I mean, I just recovered. Uh, to be quite honest, that was very, very traumatizing for mm-hmm. me, for me too. You know, I didn't want to be put in that position. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm supposed to be doing all these things that are way out of my job description, you know, that somebody else should be giving me support yeah. with. And then no one's giving me any support whatsoever. And they're just kind of pushing me out there to do the dirty work, mm-hmm. you know, really. And, uh, I don't know. It was really traumatizing for me because I, I do have a lot of trauma in my past, you know, and I felt like the whole, the whole event, the whole thing was just so, um, incredibly triggering for me. Like, okay, now, now, you know, I'm an abuse survivor and now you're pushing me out in this space where I'm, I, I have to interact with these men Mm. that this big whistleblower report is about. Mm -hmm. And, some of what's in there doesn't make me feel comfortable that I'm going to be safe, yeah. you know? So it was really tough. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I can't, I can't, okay. you know, so I was, so I had to recover from being traumatized. I think we derailed off of uh, my original question about okay. you explain what your podcast was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. But that was good. We were that, talking about that. That was a good story. Yeah. Well, I, I needed that. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, the name of the podcast comes from a song from the sixties um, that really became kind of a feminist anthem in the times. Mm-hmm. And um, my podcast, like I used to always joke with people that I'm going to have this podcast where we're going to talk about all this really shitty stuff that happens in the work world, mm-hmm. you know, that's really fucked up and, you know, try and kind of change the culture a little and so, you know, we'll talk about all that stuff and everybody was always like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, because this happened at my work and that I, I think work can be really, really toxic, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this podcast. And I would always kind of kid around about that and stuff. And um, and then, um, you know, so I kind of go on the spiritual journey over this past year or whatever. And I realized that I had to get out of my comfort zone. And that's kind of how the podcast sort of was this just never, you know, like. I'd be talking to people and there'd be some other injustice in the world that's happening that we're yeah. like, you know, fuck this shit. We should talk about it. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I went to this. Um, have you ever been to a sound bath? A sound bath? Yeah. No, but it sounds fun. Oh yeah, man, you should go. <laughs> um, what is it? So, uh, at, at, uh, we go to this yoga studio and every third Friday they have the sound bath and it's like, um, this incredible person sets up all these like um, Tibetan singing bowls and then she has like a gong and she has all these other kind of percussion instruments and she plays um, like a ukulele or a guitar or whatever and she sings. And so mm-hmm. for, um, and she's a, um, a, uh, a, 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 like a music therapist, you know, so she has, she has, she uses auditory sounds for therapy or whatever. So she 
does this huge thing and it goes on for about 50 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever. And you, you lay on the floor on your yoga mat with blankets and pillows and whatever. So you're not actually in the bath. I think, no, you're not in a bath. The sound going over you is the bath, Mm. you know, like it washes over you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you sit there for an hour and, um, and, uh, you know, I guess you kind of meditate while the music is happening and she's doing all that. And during the sound bath, um, I realized that I need to get out of my comfort zone and I just got to start doing all this crap I want to do but won't do because it's so scary. Mm. And so that's how the podcast kind of came about was mm-hmm. those two things sort of blending together. What was so, you say you had to get out of your comfort zone. Like what was right. so scary? you just like scared of uh, uh, failure? Yeah, failure, what people are going to say, uh, people judging it. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that you have to look at yourself and it's like, you know, it's not like I'm, oh yeah, like all young and cute and everything and mm. even listening to your voice. I mean, I don't know how you feel about listening to your own voice, but you know. Yeah, I, mean, I think my voice is kind of sexy, I guess. Yeah, you have a good voice. It's all deep <laughs> and sultry. Yeah, you know, but mm. I talk through my nose, so it's, mm. it's a different, different scene going on. Okay. Not, not very sexy, I guess, but... You know, um, there's all of that, like just putting yourself out there and talking about things that are um, like this. This mm-hmm. is way out of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. you know, right here. But, yeah. you know, I mean, all the good stuff is there really, right? And once you get out of your comfort zone, it's awesome. So how did that change you as a person? Getting after, out of my comfort yeah, zone? Yeah, you started doing things that you weren't doing before. Um, I realized like... Uh, Life is so much more rich when you get out of your comfort zone and there's so much more opportunity mm-hmm. and you have so much more freedom. You know, you don't have to, not always so concerned with what everybody else thinks. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get out of your, you can just do what you want. And that's great. And your podcast is not interview based, correct? You just. No, I mean, eventually people are going to come on and mm-hmm. talk about stuff, but, uh, I just really, you know, started that as like, okay, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to do this and let's see what happens mm-hmm. with it. And it was kind of a, it's kind of a, was on, I, I started my nonprofit or starting my nonprofit. And then I thought like, okay, you know, how can I get the word out about my nonprofit and maybe, you know, kind of dovetailing this podcast idea mm-hmm. into that would be a good way to do that. Okay. Well, that was a good segue. Um, your nonprofit. Um, can you tell the people what exactly it is? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I started. Uh, I started thinking about this nonprofit um, way back in probably 2015. But again, because I couldn't get out of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. I did nothing about it. Right. But um, so, what my nonprofit does is uh, it. It works with clients who are affected by um, suicide, death, mental illness, and partners them with an artist in a field that they're interested in. And the mentor artist will work with the, the client to create a body of work. And it could be anything. It's any kind of artist. It could be spoken word, could be music, could mm-hmm. be, you know, media, could be anything, whatever it happens to be we partner the client with a person, an artist, 
to tell their story or a portion of their story or, or something they really want to tell. And then we find a venue to uh, display that work or, um, you know, maybe it's an open mic or, you know, maybe it's a show or yeah. an exhibit or something like that. And um, in doing that, we kind of hope to uh, bring more facts out about suicide. And so it's so much what people know as can be stereotypes or mm-hmm. judgments about it um, or old information. And, uh, and I just kind of create a space where people can talk openly about topics that are a little bit more normally taboo. Mm-hmm. Why suicide for you? Um, I know a fair amount of people who have uh, tried or succeeded at suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people out there that are hurting. I w- won't say, you know, at times in my life, I have actually um, never gotten to a place where I would seriously do that. But, you know, you do th- you do think to yourself, you know, has life rejected me because it's not going that well or mm. um, something really tragic or horrible happens and, you know, can I make it through this? This is too hard or, you know, things like that. And Yeah. Why do you think um, suicide is on the rise with teenagers? I mean, I think life is really, really hard. You know, I think there's a lot of, um, people who feel like, um, you know, I, everything's gotten so expensive. I can't get anything. I can't have anything, all these things, you know, this quote unquote American dream. How, how do I achieve that? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I get out of where I am? Everything is incredibly expensive. I mean, when I went to college, I put myself through college and did take me like 20 years to pay off college. But, (laughs) but I mean, literally it was so cheap in comparison to what it is now. So if somebody wants to go to college, how do you even do that? And let's, yeah. you know, and I also think there's just such a, um, COVID kind of sort of, uh, emphasize this, but there's, um, a challenge with community and connection. A lot of the times with mm. all people, you know, um, suicide doesn't really have an age range. Mm-hmm. It affects, uh, you know, all people, um, and, uh, I think it's just the feeling of hopelessness and I can't measure up, you know? Yeah. When I was growing up and I'm pretty sure when you were growing up, we didn't have, uh, I mean, times were different, right? Right. So when I was growing up, we used to get, I used to get teased all the fucking time for being dark skinned, mm-hmm. having an African name. So I used to get teased all the time. But it, I used to tease back, mm-hmm. so I was I didn't cry. I didn't I didn't feel like oh these these kids are picking on me. You had to have thick skin and you had to be able to like hold your own. Right. Uh, when people talk crack jokes on you, you have to be able to crack jokes back. So and then plus, um, like the looks, like when we were growing up as kids, our parents. I feel we're more involved and I'm I'm speak I don't know about you but I'm speaking about me parents were more involved in like life. Right. Teachers weren't expected to be your parents. Right. Your parents were supposed to be your parents. 
And when I used to get in trouble in school, <clears throat> like the teacher used to call my dad to the school. And that was the most scariest thing <laughs> in the world when my dad would show up to school because my dad would, would give me a whooping in front of everybody. Right. <laughs> so you had no choice but to behave. And I say that to say like nowadays, right, you have children who are addicted to like TikTok. Mm -hmm. You have children who are out here fighting teacher, actual teachers, punching them and shit like that. You have parents that are not really involved in in their uh, children's lives. Uh, teachers now are expected to fucking be the teacher and the parent, right. which I think is ridiculous. Um, so, and then you have you have children who who are doing grown up shit, mm -hmm. like teenagers fucking and like dating and wearing shit that grown women wear. You know, you know, <clears throat> and so, for example, like when you when you when you look at parents and they have when they have their, their kids, right? What do they do? They just give them the phone, right? Oh, watch this on the phone and and be quiet, or or take go play the game or shit like that. There's no like, I just want you not to cry, so you're gonna go play the game or do whatever. Like the TV raises raises uh, kids, and then when the TV and the internet raise kids. Obviously, kids are going to start like a, a girl who, who has who's kind of like doesn't have a body like Paris Hilton, mm -hmm. and that's all she sees on TikTok. She's going to start feeling depressed, right? And be like, "Oh damn, I want to look like that." Blah blah blah. Or a kid who's getting teased at school because they can't get the Jordans, they're going to go cry in the in the in the in the room, and then the parent is not going to be like. Because if I went and cried at my house, my dad would be like, yo, be quiet. Suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> be a man and stop fucking crying. Yeah. You know, that's the type of shit back in my day. And I feel like nowadays, that's why a lot of uh, kids are committing suicide because they think, they think not looking like Paris Hilton is the end, is the end of the world. Right. Like there's so much, and I might, this might be an, an ignorant statement to make, but I would never commit suicide because I, no matter what you are going through, I always feel there is somebody going through way more worse shit than you are. Right. How, right. How do you feel about that? Um, okay. This is, okay. There's a few things. Maybe I'll deconstruct it a little bit. So, um, yes, I think you're right. I think that there is a, there is a image or a world that that is projected in social media that isn't true. Mm -hmm. But when you're, I mean, really at any age, you can be naive to the fact that that might be not true. You know, every, you don't realize everybody's curating everything. And, yeah. You know, I mean, and wanting, uh, and, you know, altering what they look like. I mean, you know, recently, even before social media, I was talking to somebody and they were saying, you know what, I think it was the absolute worst thing that ruined uh, at least women and people I know, body image. And so that it's so huge now, it's very hard to overcome not feeling like you look good mm -hmm. is magazines. 
Yeah. Because in the day when, you know, um, the, the magazines, like you never see anybody that actually looks like them. They're, it's all highly altered, but to, um, somebody who grew up in, you know, the nineties, that was like the shit. Everybody looked at magazines, all the mm-hmm. magazine. And so, um, they felt like because that was so tangible, like they could look back on it, it touch it, feel it, see it everywhere they looked that, um, that was actually so detrimental to them and their perception of self, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, if you're barraged by it and you're looking at it all day, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, how do you keep, it's like, how do you keep up with the Joneses? You know, yeah. you can't. Um, and then my question to you would be like, did you ever feel because, you know, <laughs> you would, you would get in trouble if you were crying about not having Jordans or whatever, not looking a certain way. Mm. Um, did you feel like that uh, was hard for you emotionally, feeling like you couldn't be emotionally vulnerable? Well, yeah. I mean, I had African parents, so yeah, and African yeah. parents they don't they don't play that shit. They're right, like, right. be quiet, don't cry, no emotion, be strong. So from birth, I was different from everyone else because i i had thick skin and plus i grew up with a crazy crazy father he was alcoholic mm-hmm. he was uh verbally abusive so i went through a lot of shit as a child right so nothing like nothing phased me in life because mm-hmm. i was like oh man i i gotta go home and now i gotta deal with this this right, nut right, right. so all this shit that you kids are saying that don't mean shit to me right right so I mean, but not everybody has that same situation in life. Some people, a kid can go to school and a girl could call her ugly. And then she'll probably think that's the end of the world for her. And she'll probably like hurt herself or cut herself or something. Just because one girl said you were ugly. Right. And now she honestly thinks she's ugly. Right. It sticks (laughs) with you. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if someone called me ugly, I'll be all right. (laughs) You're you're ugly too. (laughs) So what? Good for you. That's, yeah. that's, I mean, I think a lot of people want to get to that place, mm-hmm. but they don't know how, or it's, it's hard. It's hard. Not, I mean, you know, that was the whole thing that stopped me from doing all of this for years because mm-hmm. someone's going to be mean or laugh yeah. or whatever. It's, that's super powerful, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think we all on some levels, well, maybe not you because you're, it's like you evolved. <laughs> we can aspire to be that. But, you know, um, you all, uh, everybody ends up constructing some portion of who they are that is all about what other people think. Mm. And that's really sad because maybe they don't even think that. You're just assuming they, you know, mm. one person says, hey, you're ugly. And then you assume like all the other 20 girls in the class also must think I'm ugly. And yeah. You know, all these guys think I'm ugly and all these random people who see me at the mall think I'm ugly or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and then you construct this part of who you are yourself that is really just has to do with what other people think and trying to fit into their box. Mm. There was a case a couple of years back. I'm pretty sure you know about this case where there was these two teenagers Mm -hmm. and this girl, uh, she was texting, I guess it was her boyfriend at the time. 
And she, he was like, oh, I'm depressed. I feel like killing myself. And she was like, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you remember that yeah, case, and yeah. then she got charged for uh for murder, right? Because she texted him, and she was like, "Do it," and then he he did it, right, right. How, what's your views on that case? Um, well, I, uh, I mean, you know, that's kind of that's a, just a really tragic mm-hmm. scene all around, you know, mm-hmm. and. I mean, we'll never know exactly every nuance of what happened there, but um, I think that, that uh, for one, when somebody says that to you, you know, like, hey, I'm going to commit suicide or whatever, that, that, is a, that is a cry for help, you know. But then people will also say that in a joking way, right? So how do you, how do you navigate what that might be, especially if you're a teenager, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think you should always take it seriously, but because we don't talk about this openly, no one has any tools to deal with that when presented with it. Like Mm. what, what's a kid supposed to do when presented with, you know, I'm going to kill myself, you know, and you're trying to be cool because you're really into what everybody else thinks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really know what that person was thinking, I really don't think, um, you know, she's a child. Do you think she should be charged for the for his, for that? Do you think she's responsible for a suicide? No, I don't think that she's responsible for a suicide. Mm. I think if um, there's anything you could pinpoint, would be something more along the lines of she didn't handle that situation as best she could, you know, Mm -hmm. she might've done something else like told someone or, you know, immediately tried to be a little bit more supportive or, you know, went to where that person was. I don't really know all the specifics about if that was even a possibility for her. They could have just had a big argument. I mean, I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the nuances of everything. Um, but no, I, I think that's not really enough information. And I, I don't think when... Um, I mean, well, there's a lot more details in the case. Right. I'm just giving you like the right. like the basic uh, points of the conclusion of what happened. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that when you... When somebody is at a point where they're seriously com- contemplating suicide you can't necessarily, you can't, those, you, they're not just like, I feel like I'm going to wear a blue sweater today and somebody talks you out of wearing the blue sweater because the red one looks so much better on you or whatever. Mm. It's not like that. It's, it's an overwhelming feeling that you can't just have a cup of coffee with somebody or, uh, you know, one single conversation and you're, you know, all, you know, better, you know, cured or whatever Mm. people think happens in that situation. There's, there's so much has built up to that point that needs to be, um, you can't just change somebody by just talking at them and you can't, it's, it's not an easy shift, Mm -hmm. you know? So in saying, do it or don't do it. I mean, 
we don't know exactly what go what was going on in that person's mind who was saying, I'm going to kill myself. Um, so we don't know if, had she said, oh, no, do, don't do that, would the same outcome happen or, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's very complex and it's can't you can't just have like some little conversation with somebody and then they never think about it again or they never do it again. You know, mental illness plays a role into that. And when I say mental illness, I don't mean it in the context that it's sort of stereotyped as. I just mean it as, you know, your... It's not... Um, I think everyone has some elements of mental illness at some point in their life, whether you're depressed or you have anxiety or, you know, um, you're feeling suicidal or, you know, a whole host of other things that that's under that umbrella of mental illness. It's just where you are in the moment and you need help. Yeah. You know, I think it goes back to, I think the parents have that guy's parents has more responsibility in his death than the girlfriend. Because once again, you as parents, how come you don't know your son is having these thoughts? Right. Now I know teenagers don't, I mean, you don't know what people are thinking in their mind, obviously, but a lot of parents ignore, they see signs, but they ignore like all these teenage uh, shooters that go into these schools and shoot. Like, I'm pretty sure if you look back, there were a couple of signs, red flags, that your kid was crazy, that you ignored. <laughs> <laughs> and you were just like, oh, no, he's just being a boy. No, when he was, when he threw your cat off the roof, that's kind of a sign that that's right. not normal behavior. Or when he's collecting uh, fucking knives, and when he has a wall full of knives, mm-hmm. and he's interested in guns all, all the time, that's kind of a red flag. Right. That's kind of a sign where you you know maybe maybe Brandon something's wrong with Brandon. Then you ignore all these signs, and the next thing you know, he's on the news. He killed like seventeen kids at a high school. Right. And you ignore the signs. Right. So yeah, I think uh, it's more on the on the parents. Do you have these talks with your children about suicide and shit like that uh you know you mean like any kind of hard conversation Mm -hmm. about that kind of stuff yeah definitely definitely um i mean it's not like i'm going around talking to them about mental illness all the time or anything Mm -hmm. like that but um yeah we've had a lot of conversations about um depression anxiety um cutting you know whatever Mm -hmm. things like that um one of my kids has a friend who you know really struggles with um you know, feeling suicidal or saying, you know, things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, so we've had many, many conversations about that. And, um, and, you know, in that case, you know, in some cases it's like, okay, well, here's some tools if that conversation, you know, if something similar happens, like, mm-hmm. oh, I just want to kill myself, gets texted to you. Mm-hmm. Here's some things you do. Um, you know, or let, you know, tell me and I'll tell the, you know, I don't mind being the the bad person that calls up the parents and goes, Hey, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. keep an eye out. Um, but I think, um, one of the major issues is that we don't have 
a good system in the country for dealing with uh, mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. We don't have any real services that are accessible to people. It's incredibly laborious to get any help. You know, that just the fact that you have to fill out paperwork and you need a computer and you need all these things that a lot of people don't have. Um, You don't have access to the healthcare. Um, You might not have any healthcare. So how are you going to go anywhere for help? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, prescription costs money. Then you got to stay on it. How do you do that? And, you know, it just, there's no real system that deals with mental health in this country that, um, that can really help people in that way. You know, people get shuffled around and they go in and out of the system because it's so hard to stay in the system, you mm-hmm. know, and it's kind of a taboo subject. So kids don't really know how to recognize it in, in each other or, you know, they're just a weirdo if they think one thing or another, or maybe somebody who is going through something then gets ostracized because no one knows how to deal with it, you know? And, and I don't think a lot of parents know how to deal with it either. It's, you know, um, sometimes parents don't want to see those things in their kids. Um, and so there's a little bit of denial that might be going on there or something like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that, so I can't speak for those parents. This is me looking there and, and assuming that is probably really hard to see that in your kid, you know? Uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but what what is the hardest conversation you think you probably had to have with one of your kids? God, the hardest conversation. Um, I don't know. I mean... There's a lot of hard conversations you have with your uh, kids, you know, um, a lot of a lot of things. I mean, that's your job as a parent. That's kind of harkens back to what I was saying earlier is that, you know, it's the the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. But it is th- fucking hard. You know, mm. it's it's really hard to be. It's really hard to parent. And no matter how you approach it, you you'll never do a perfect job. There'll always be something, you know, you'll always be like your kids will be mad at you for something you did when they were, you know, five or, you know, you do the wrong thing. You do the wrong thing all the time because, you know, there's no manual really for parenting. There's a lot of parenting books, I guess, but (laughs) you know, like it's, it's, and, and a lot of times like, like for me, you know, having kids when I was in my twenties, I was a kid myself, you know, how does, I mean, imagine like a 20 year old person in charge of another person's life, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, there's also that, you know, you're just trying to figure your own life out, but then you have like kids also too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, and I think you just, we just have hard conversations when they come up. I'd probably say one of the hardest conversations that I've had with my kids would be stuff pertaining, um, maybe more, to me, like, you know, acknowledging that, you know, I'm really fucked up right now with this, you know, burnout. Now I have all this anxiety and I'm having panic attacks and blah, blah, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm not this, you know, the parents are supposed to be all kind of this pinnacle of the all knowing everything. They they never fuck up. They're perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, but then to have to say that to your kids, which I think is really helpful because then that they, 
don't have to strive to be perfect because that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the hardest conversations are things like that. And like, you know, um, having to tell them like, yeah, I, you know, an abuse survivor or here's what happened to me in my life. This, you know, cause mm -hmm. I think, you know, you should know cause that shapes me as a person. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of conversations, you know, um, I feel are the hardest because it's also very vulnerable to me. You know, I have to come to them very mm -hmm. vulnerable when I'm supposed to be like the parent, you know. Do you, if someone asked you what was the lowest point of your life, what would your answer be? The lowest point of my life? Um, mm -hmm. God, there's been so many. Like, how do you pick one out? <laughs> <laughs> um um, I would say like, uh, I was, um, in a relationship for a while, for, for a fair amount of time. And it was, um, an abusive relationship and physically, yeah, okay. physically, mentally, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, when I finally escaped that, I, uh, really had no sense of who I am, right? Because I spent like a decade in a relationship trying to be what this person wanted to keep safe or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, or, you know, they rip you down. So you have no really self-esteem. So you don't think anything you think is viable because, you know, you're told every day it's not viable, you know, so you don't know who you are. And um, that was really... I mean, it was really hard to be in that relationship. Fucking scary as shit to escape it. Like, scary. Like, even to this day, if I was to see that person anywhere, I would freak out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Is he the father of your children? Um, I don't really want to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do I continue? So, um... <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I think that was the hardest part of my life is escaping that and then um, having to rebuild who I am or figure out who I am, you know. How'd you escape? Um, and what took, obviously this happened, uh, this was an ongoing situation. Mm -hmm. So what was the final straw? Because like something had to happen to where you were like, fuck it. I, this is it. I have to, I have to get out of here. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> God, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to say what that was. Um, but it wasn't, it, I, I will say that it wasn't, it wasn't my own thought, right? It was somebody else stepping in and saying, um, look, it's, you gotta just go. Mm -hmm. you gotta just go it doesn't matter you know um but i'm pretty sure multiple people have told you that same thing yeah multiple people so was this was this did this hit you different because of the per the specific person who told you right it was a spe specific person and also like you know when my friends would tell me that then they would go over to their life right but this person was so intertwined in my life that um what was happening to me was was affecting them in a much greater way than, mm. you know, 
the plethora of people that would come to me and say, get the fuck out, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and I'd, I'd kind of come to, you know, I knew it at that point, like, Oh, I I have to get out. But, um, and I'd kind of tried to, but you keep going back because that's, you know, speaking of comfort zones, even if it isn't pleasurable, that's your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, so you, so you go there. So I kind of did this like, leave, but come back, leave, but come back thing. And then um, I was just really super fortunate to be surrounded by some really amazing people who helped me get out, stay out. Mm. Do you feel like uh, you had like a case of Stockholm syndrome? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, no, no, I don't think so. I think it was, uh, for me, I felt like I was, it was just this, yeah, I guess, I guess the, the element of needing to please would probably fall in that category, but, Mm -hmm. um, just being like, uh, well, I, you know, I'm supposed to be in a relationship and this is what women do. You know, you get in a relationship and then you make it work and, you know, there'll be hard times and, but you don't have a gauge for, you know, again, you're like so young, you don't have a gauge for, well, well, what is appropriate and not appropriate? I, I don't know. Like, mm. where is the line? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I am, maybe I do deserve it, whatever, you know, mm. it's that internal dialogue of, that and also i can't live on my own you know i depend on this person what am i gonna do you know live in my car i can't do that what would people think you know it's so driven by Mm. what other people think you know why do you think women i mean not all women do this but why do you think women stay with their abusers as long as they they do Uh -uh. because um A woman could be in an abusive relationship, but it, it it never starts off abusive, right? Right. And then there's that one time where he chokes you. I'm just giving an example. Right. And that choke should have told you, okay, fuck that. I got to get out of here. Right, right, right. You don't put your hands on me. But they stay. He says, I'll never do it again. Baby, I love you. Blah, blah, blah. Right. A couple months go by, chokes you again, or he slaps you. You're like, oh, shit. He's he did this again. He said he'll never do it again, but uh, he has he hasn't done it in a long time. So you start making excuses for him, right? And then next thing you know, that slap turns into an actual like fist, like he hits you, right? So why do you think women? And you don't have to compare this to yourself, right? But just give me what you what your thought is. Why do you think women don't leave after that first time? like after that first choke. Right. Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself and I would say that, uh, it's, it's, there's this, it's so gradual, you know, like Mm. first they're like, Oh, you're, you know, everything and blah, blah, blah. And you hear all these things that you have been wanting to hear from somebody, you know, and then, Oh, you know, they're going to take care of you and all this stuff. And, you know, slowly they're isolating you from the people who might support you and, you know, and then you become isolated and then, you know, kind of what you're talking about sort of starts happening. And the first time it happens, you're like, 
man, did that even happen? I mean, you kind of talk yourself out of it maybe, right? Like, mm. did he mean to do that? Maybe he didn't mean to hit me that hard, you know, maybe, you know, you kind of talk yourself out of it. You kind, It's so uh, sort of bizarre in a way that it's almost like, did it happen? You know, <laughs> may, may, you know, it's just, it's just so weird. You know, you don't have framework to, I, to, to say what it is in your own mind. So therefore it just kind of lies out there because you can't, you can't compartmentalize it into that guy's an asshole. Leave him because it's weird. You mm-hmm. know, it's weird that somebody who loves you would do that to you. Right. You know, and it's so gradual and you're so torn down emotionally and mentally that you don't have a sense of self anymore. So you don't really, you know, you do kind of think you're garbage or I did. I did like, oh, I'm not worth, I'm only worth that. You know, I can't get like a regular relationship because now I'm damaged goods. And, mm. you know, maybe that's all I'm good for is that, you know, that, that's, that's what I, I deserved it. I expected it. I should, I should have cleaned the bathroom more, you know, or yeah. whatever you get in trouble for, you know, and then, um, there's that whole thing of like, if you leave, they'll stalk you and kill you. Um, you know, there's this fear, like you can't leave or what will happen to other people you know who are close to you. He'll get them too. And, you know, it's really, uh, it's really so you're, you're kind of in, imprisoned in this fear of it all, you know, like you can't get out. You mm. won't be able to get a job. You can't make money on your own because oftentimes you're not allowed to make money. Or if you make money, it's a certain thing that you, that, you feel that person is controlling in some way and can take it away from you at any time. And, um, and there's a lot of stigma about like, Oh, you, you leave them. Then they tell, they're also usually very good at telling stories, right? So what they're telling other people is not the truth, but it, it will ostracize you from the only group that you know, mm. because all the shit talk's going to happen about you and then no one's, you know, you're going to be alone. And, you know, it's just so many factors of you can't do it. And then it's your comfort zone, you know, even though what, you know, at least even though I get the shit beat out of me, you know, once a week, I still know what the expectations are. Yeah. But if I'm in like a functional relationship, I don't know what those expectations are or alone. Mm. I don't know. Mm. You know, I think there's a lot of that. It's just, and the resources, like where do you go? Yeah. Where do you go if you run with absolutely nothing and he controls the bank account? Mm-hmm. You know, where do you go? Yeah, that is that is interesting. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, so your your nonprofit, where can people find you? Um, well, we're on, uh, Instagram and Facebook and, uh, we have a website, uh, socialrefugees.org and we have a link tree on, um, Instagram, which is at social refugees and, uh, and the same with, um, Facebook. And there's a link tree on there that has links to, um, how you can help us, how you can get involved, um, all the ways you can give. And if you're interested in being a client or an artist and, and, and our goal is that if, when we do have mentor artists, um, those artists are paid, uh, adequately for what they do. And, uh, we don't have an expectation that they would give that, 
give up their time and expertise freely. They should be paid. So they would be, be paid a livable wage, whatever that is, if it's a per hour thing or, um, or, you know, whatever for what we're doing, it would be tailor made to that, but they would be paid adequately for that. And so right now we're just at the fundraising stage to be able to do that kind of work. So mm. all of those things are on the link tree on Instagram. How many people are on your, uh, is it just you doing this? It's basically just me. Um, some people help me out, volunteers and things like that will help mm. me out, but it's just mostly me, um, right now. So you're, you're, look, you're looking for like workers as well? I mean, yeah, if I'm looking for money first off, because that will really help with the workers and the artists and, uh -huh. um, and all of that. Uh, so that's a really big, important part. Um, and, uh, hopefully we'll find an organization. I'm looking for an organization that might be willing to, uh, take us under their wing and, um, let help us, uh, a lot of, a lot of times bigger nonprofits will take a small nonprofit or even just a group of people who want to eventually become a nonprofit sort of under their wing and be the umbrella organization, the mentoring organization for that group. So that while that group, uh, like social refugees is getting their 501 C three nonprofit paperwork completed and, um, and getting all of that together and everything they can use the parent companies, um, nonprofit status to raise funds, to write grants and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're also looking for an organization that would be willing to do that. Okay. Where do you want to see this, this uh, nonprofit organization? Where do you, what's the ceiling for you? Um, I think that uh, it is so needed everywhere. I guess if I, my biggest dream for this would be for it to find success and, um, be everywhere, be, you know, all over the world because, um, there isn't one place that couldn't use it, you know? So do you, do you want to have physical built, uh, locations or does this all be on like online or something? Well, I mean, there'd be physical locations because anytime there is a, um, an artist is working with a, okay, yeah, with okay. a client, mm -hmm. they might need to be physically together doing that. And mm -hmm. then, um, the exhibit or the presentation or the show or whatever it is would also be um, in person. So it'd be nice to have a bunch of satellites everywhere, all doing work in their communities and how yeah. that would best look for them. Mm. Okay. You know, that would be the dream. Mm -hmm. Well, I see it. Uh, I see it coming into fruition. I mean, I think, uh, I think the cause is something that I believe like no matter what your background is, I think the cause is something that no one will be like, oh, I don't want to support that. Because uh -huh. <laughs> if you say that, then something must be really wrong with you if you if you don't <laughs> if you don't support this. So uh everyone uh please send her some money. She needs it. Uh if you're an artist out there in the world and you he hear this podcast please reach out to her. Uh, what's the easiest way you want people to like emails? Yeah. Instagram. You can, you, you can. Yeah. Any, any way, Instagram, you can email me. Um, you can, uh, there's also, if you're on the website, there's a contact page and you can fill that out if you want. Okay. And tell me the, the website again, socialrefugees.org. Okay. All right, Julia. I say your name, right? Yes. 
Yeah, well, you know, some people call me that. <laughs> I'm bad with names. All right, um, so I appreciate you coming on Everyday Celebrity Podcast. It was uh, amazing hearing your story, and hopefully it would inspire somebody out there because you know this is heard around the world. Great. Yeah. The, well, the, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun, and um, and I really appreciate your support. Yeah, yeah. Hard issues, tough questions. Uh, everyone should talk about shit that they are scared to talk about because that's how you solve problems. Right. You don't solve problems by just putting it in the closet and just hope hope it solves itself. You know what I'm saying? It's, when you put it in the closet, it's just gonna it's just gonna get it worse. Right. You know, it's just gonna grow into an, a, a demon. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, the demon busts out the closet and kills everybody. Yeah, for, yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast, and we are out. You. Uh,